This is Small Biz Gone Viral, a safe place for stressed out small business owners looking for someone who gets them and their stresses. I'm your host, Grant LeBeau, and unfortunately for me, but fortunately, I suppose, for the existence of this show, I'm right at home, a stressed out small business owner who had big plans for 2020, who now spends most of his time grinding his teeth, waiting for a vaccine for business woes. Today on the show, we have the owner of a marketing agency who will share why ping-pong culture costs more than it's worth, how contractors are more efficient, and how even workforces that were remote prior to COVID still face big uphill challenges. But first, our fun fact. As happens a lot, today's fun fact is neither singular nor fun. Long-term unemployment is defined as being unemployed and looking for a job for at least 27 weeks. That number is twice as high as usual, currently around 38% and climbing. Adding fuel to that fire will be the three-week lockdown that just started in parts of California to go along with tightening restrictions in 43 other states. More about that in our next segment. Facts and Figures. Facts and Figures, as always, include stats about COVID, the economy, and sometimes seemingly unrelated, the stock market. So let's start with COVID, where things are really, really bad. New daily cases are five times higher than they were in August. Back then, it was just one 40,000-person stadium of people catching COVID daily. Now, five times that at nearly 200,000. That's nearly a million and a half humans catching COVID every week. 2,000 plus are dying every day, and the U.S. now makes up almost one-third of the world's active cases. Because of how things are trending, many states are going into lockdown. With 85% occupancy of ICU beds used as the determining metric, California just mandated three weeks of business closures in non-essential industries. I agree, of course, with the need to close things down, but the lack of financial support is putting an undue burden on small businesses from which many will not recover. Seriously, it's just ridiculous. Close your business, but we're not going to do anything to help you. Speaking of the economy, yes, a vaccine has been released. The UK started a couple of weeks ago, and the US is just now getting underway. Early estimates target late spring or early summer for the 80 to 90 percent magic number of the population, which is the amount needed for true herd immunity. What is important to remember is the economy doesn't just flip back on. Today's focus is on unemployment. Not only is long-term unemployment up, but the workforce has contracted 2.2 percent since the start of the pandemic due in large part to the need to provide childcare in lieu of schools. Women are bearing the brunt of this, staying home to watch the kids as the costs of private childcare often outweigh the benefit of working and or job hunting. So although 12 million jobs have been added back since April, 10.7 million Americans are still on the hunt. November jobs numbers were the worst since April, adding only a couple hundred thousand jobs, well below predictions, bringing the national unemployment rate from 69 down to 
I find myself constantly trying to rationalize why the stock market keeps chugging along in spite of the pandemic. This week's rationale is the numbers are so bad that even our do-nothing Congress is getting the hint. There is actually a rumor, believe it or not, that congressional centrists from both parties are getting close to passing a $900 billion stimulus package. Maybe that's why the Dow Jones, S&P, and NASDAQ are all in record high territory. And on that note, for the 1% of you, let's get to our interview. Right after I remind you to subscribe, and more importantly, share this podcast with a small business owner, because A, people like to be thought of, and B, it's hard to find people to commiserate with. Even more importantly, the holidays are here. Please shop small. It makes a difference. Trust me. And now, interview. My guest today is Alicia Williams, who has always had an eye for good branding. She says it's a blessing and a burden because she can't look at anything without diving deeper into why a company used specific colors, wording, or imagery on their social channels. Some people armchair quarterback sports. Alicia tries to uncover what story companies hope to be sharing with the world. Alicia took this passion, interest, skill set, etc., and started Elise Marketing in 2008 during our last recession with the goal to help others articulate their stories in a more compelling way. Oh, and by the way, she was 21. Alicia, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. So I feel like the timing here is perfect to have you on the show because you actually started your business uh, the last time there was an economic disaster uh, in, in 2008. Uh, let's go ahead and have you start by telling us uh, what it was like starting your company all the way back then in 2008. Yeah, it seems like forever ago, but just yesterday. Um, so 2008 you. was the height of the recession. I graduated from college. My background is marketing and PR. And I hit the ground applying to hundreds of jobs, um, thousands it seemed, going on interviews. And I was constantly uh, hit with the answer no, or just being ignored or going up against, um, you know, CMOs that just got let go of their careers and they were just trying to get entry-level marketing jobs. So as a, a recent grad, it was close to impossible to getting a job that would even support support you um, financially. So for me, I decided to kind of switch gears and just start doing networking events and meeting people and trying to do any freelance I could so that I could earn money, uh, essentially. So I, I, def I know it's different than what's happening right now, but similar in the sense of people graduating and a lot of people not having job opportunities. Right. S similar upheaval. Yes. So what what did you end up landing on? How what, what was the, what was kind of the, the evolution of going from freelance and doing whatever you could into deciding to start your own company and, and forego the whole rat race of working for somebody else altogether? Yeah, I mean, I think it was a combination of everything that happened in that, you know, first year after graduation and constantly having the rejection of 
companies not hiring or, or just not a good fit. And um, several of those conversations that just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And when I started doing the networking events and getting little side jobs, I realized I'm very good at working by myself, very good at doing things without people telling me to do them. Um, and I genuinely really enjoyed it. it. It made it feel really good that I got to say how much something was worth and then get paid for that. Um, my first client was um, doing event planning for a fashion uh, store. And that was really interesting. I probably went so above and beyond what I even came close to earning. Um, and that was a lot of fun to kind of like learn and do. And that was my first taste of entrepreneurship and working on my own. And from that day forward, I said, you know, I'm not going to work for anyone. I'm just going to do this full force and try to make it work. And I did events to start which was a horrible business to start in a recession because just like we're seeing now, no one was really investing in events. So I quickly switched gears and started to do website writing and blogging and social media was just starting to come out. So that wasn't really a thing yet for businesses. So it evolved really just from doing these odd and end projects and just listening to what people needed and then being able to provide it. Right. And so that eventually evolved into what you have now. And how would you kind of succinctly describe exactly what, like, what, what is your, what are your core competencies and what is, uh, what's your focus as a business now? Absolutely. So we pride ourselves on being a boutique full service marketing team. We work very closely with the business owners or the CMOs that are in-house develop the marketing strategy that the client for their products or their services needs in order to get in front of the right people at the right time. And where we differentiate ourselves is not just looking at marketing from one angle, but seeing how does this integrate with the sales team? How do the ads that we're creating drop into the sales funnel? So there's a, a big business process and sales enablement component to what we do, which is why many clients work with us instead of hiring an in-house marketing team uh, because we are able to take a step back and apply the business strategy, marketing strategy, and sales strategy as one. It sounds like, as I'm just kind of thinking about this, I know from my like firsthand experience that it's a lot to keep up with. Do you find yourself doing a lot of additional like off the clock research on the evolution of like of the marketing landscape and like what you need to know in order to like be on the, the cutting edge? Yeah, I don't think I've read a book for pleasure in 15 years. <laughs> Everything I read is blogs, white papers, or books that have something to do with entrepreneurship, marketing, business, anything to kind of help broaden our vision, um, ideas for clients, and then also participating in conferences. Now they're all virtual, but there's still conferences and webinars out there. And then lastly is hiring people way smarter than me. So looking at, you know, my social media manager and my graphic designer and my videographer, they are in charge of staying up to date on the latest trends and tech for their specific area. And I trust them and I'm able to sell that for them uh, to our clients. So Having a team, having that holistic vision is knowing that our job is to stay on top of the best things to happen in marketing, especially right now. Marketing is so different. 
what are other companies doing that's working and what are they doing that's not working? And then how do we bring that down to a company that's not the size of Best Buy or, or Amazon? Right. How do you still give that high quality service at a reasonably affordable price to someone who is basically de- debating, okay, I'm, I'm at this inflection point, we're growing maybe I don't want to invest in a six-figure salary for a chief marketing officer and their team. How can I kind of outsource that to get the exact size package that I need and want, and but with all of that same experience and quality that I would get if I were trying to hire in-house? Right. And there's also a learning curve that goes with that. So if you look at a, a company that's 10 to $100 million, they have a CMO in-house that CMO is in charge of the strategy. Then they need the marketing managers. They need the writers. They need uh, the videographers. That all becomes part of their internal team. That's, I don't know, five different salaries with five different benefit packages. So utilizing an outside source like ours, you may be still paying what a CMO would get paid, but you're getting 15, 20 people and I have yet to get any health benefits from our clients. So the cost benefit is huge. The reach is huge. And then the learning curve where we don't, they don't have to teach us how to market. This is what we do. This is what we know. So we just have to learn about the business and then apply our knowledge to that. Before I forget, are there... Is, is there one or maybe a couple of books that you would recommend highly for anyone looking for kind of a, an insight into, into your field? Yeah, uh, not necessarily marketing field, but um, I just finished Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. And that uh, yes. was probably, oh my gosh, it was amazing. That was a really good book. And uh, about Nike. Other? You read it? Um, it's, it's on my to-do list. I don't, oh, I don't know why have I haven't. I know. Okay. I, I keep getting recommended it. Yes. All right. Now I'm, I'm definitely going audiobook. to. Yeah. The audiobook. He narrate? Uh, it's not him narrating it, but the narrator is really good. Okay. All that right. one. And then the other that I just finished was girls stop apologizing. And that one I really liked because it definitely impacted how I write emails and how I talk to clients because how selling as a male or a female, it is different. And so it was a good glimpse into it. So those are the two books that I just um, come to mind because I just finished them. Well, I'm, I'm definitely going to read the first one. Is the, is the second one a, a, a applicable? I'm not sure if you would Did like I... it, but maybe your wife would like it. Okay. They'll never apologize again to you. <laughs> Yeah, fair enough. I I've, I feel like I've been seeing more about that online and, and kind of in social media. There's like a movement to kind of stop the the apology uh, habit. I think that a lot of us have. Hey, sorry, sorry that I'm getting back to you late. Sorry that this or sorry, you know. Mm-hmm. No, there's there are reasonable explanations. Here they are. Let's move on. I'm not going to devalue myself in the process of explaining. Right. So. You mentioned that you have a couple that you have a, a videographer and a social media person. Um, how do, how have you structured things, and has it always been that way as far as employees versus contractors? Absolutely. So we originally created the business model to be your traditional agency, where you know we have the founders, and then we hire our internal team of writers, videographers. Everyone was underneath our roof, everyone was on payroll. And we did that for a few years and realized really quickly that all of our time was spent on managing 
And all of our money, instead of reinvesting in the business, was being invested into culture. And I understand culture is really important, but as a startup, that was literally hindering what we could and couldn't do because we had to provide culture to keep the top talent that we had. And so we decided to completely change our business model and focus all of our attention on finding the best contractors that did one thing really, really well. So all of our team members, they are independent business owners, which means they work as crazy as we do. They're they're like-minded. They produce deadlines. They hit the deadlines. They don't take a day off, you know, unless the work is done. And so we found a great bunch of graphic designers that we use, a videographer, a SEO specialist where that's all they do, writers where they are full-time writers. It's not just somebody that happens to do SEO and know how to write on the side. Once we switched gears for that business model, one, we were able to reinvest more into the business because we weren't paying all of that payroll tax. We weren't investing into culture and we were investing in relationships, which was huge. The work quality jumped up. Our clients were so much happier because things were being done on time and better than they've ever been done before. So looking at that and reflecting, we said, this is how our business can grow. This is how we could stay lean and mean and scale. And so when a client comes to us and we, you know, put a proposed scope in front of them, the numbers are very transparent where you're not paying for this fancy office and amazing ping pong tables and beer on tap, you're paying for the work that we do. And we do really amazing work for them. And when you say that the, or let's say, can can you put a monetary value on the price of culture? And I kind of put that in, in air quotes, uh, the, between the, the beer on tap and the ping pong tables and the retreats, like what, what was that adding up to over the course of a year? Sure. And keep in mind, our team is small. We're under 10 people. So this was probably way larger for a larger company. But for us, we were spending between thirty-five dollars and $45,000 a year just on culture, let alone the payroll taxes and the benefits. It was just, you know, doing retreats and doing gifts and, and lunches and right. uh, all of those different pieces. So. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that number is, I mean, that's, that's close to, or perhaps a full-time employee. That's that's the difference between in a bat, you know, in a down year where the owner gets paid last. That's yes. the difference between the owner getting paid at all and mm-hmm. you know taking home like a, a decent chunk of change there. Yes, and and that literally there was some summers where I would sit down and say, well, we're never going to sh- close up. This is what I do. We're going to figure this out, but I need to give them culture, which means. I don't get paid or I don't get a bonus or I don't get a raise in X amount of years Mm -hmm. in order to deliver what the expectation was for the team that you hired. So it became really apparent that that's not the business I wanted to build. Right. So let's go ahead and, and get into our like true pre COVID expectations set here where you'll tell us a little bit about kind of what you were looking forward to in 2020 kind of end of 20 and end of 2019 or this might be traumatic but we'll go back to january february of 2020 and kind of what we were all looking forward to so at that point in time um let's see i know you you have basically at that point you had already moved to a contractor model rather than uh having uh, w2 employees what was your kind of 
or I don't even know if this is an appropriate question or applicable question, but like how many people were, 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 were you working with at that time? Yeah, so the end of 2019, we had a really good year, amazing projects. Our goals for 2020 were to retain all the clients that we had, bring on four additional clients, and figure, you know, one large client each quarter, and also take a step back and figure out how do we put ourselves in the seats that we needed to be in. Because at this point, at the start of 2020, I was still doing a lot of hands-on client work. So the time for me to sell and actually bring on more clients, I had none because I was still doing the work. So our big goal for 2020 was to actually put myself in the sales role, put my co-founder, Chris, as the client manager, contract manager. And, and Chris then is? Chris is my brother as there well. There we go. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> Uh, co-founder and brother, um, and in look at the contractors and say, okay, how do we delegate more to them so that they can own more of that client relationship while still underneath our brand? That was our goals for 2020. We invested in sales courses. We invested in business strategy courses. There was a lot of learning involved. When the COVID really hit and everything shut down, Instead of what was me, it turned into, okay, now we actually can use this time to take a step back and say what's working and what's not working and how do we make it even stronger so that when the country starts opening, we can hit the ground running. And that mentality is something that we actually apply to our clients. So we're, we're, good. we're definitely going to get to all of that in our mid-COVID set. J jump in the gun here, Alicia. Um, so you mentioned... And you mentioned that you were your goal was to retain clients. I'm wondering, is that something that is kind of that you've found to be common? Like, is, is that is that your method for growth? The kind of year after year is like you keep people on for the you keep the last year's clients on and you look to expand that. Do you what's the churn rate like? Right. So for us, the churn rate is when we have projects, if a client is done with a project they most likely aren't going to utilize us again for an ongoing retainer. They're just going to use us as an outside project uh, company, which is fine and that's great, but that's not a long-term goal to be able to scale doing that. So normally a, a churn rate is clients stay on with us for two to four years before they either decide to hire somebody in-house or they go a different direction. They invest maybe in... PR instead of just marketing, um, put more money towards ads. And so, so there's a whole bunch of different reasons why a client may switch gears. But our goal for 2020 and even the end of 2019 is to have stronger communication with our clients and understand what are they suffering with, what are their frustrations so that we could address that before any of those concerns come up of where's our money going and what are we doing? So we spent a lot of time looking at project management systems and looking at different transparency processes so that clients are very involved and they feel as though we're sitting right next to them without actually sitting next to them. So since we started doing that, the retention of our clients has been huge. And the only time we're losing a client is if they their funding stops. The, and that happens when you're working with startups, their um, cash flow dries up, their business is suffering. 
um, or they, they decide to hire someone in house, which we actually take more of a coaching role and coach their internal team as we phase out. Oh, interesting. I, I hadn't even thought about that, but of course that, that would make sense if that was the project. Right. Hey, can you train your replacements? Yes. And, and we have actually helped companies hire internal and, and sometimes it makes sense to have an internal marketer in your office, right? I can't be there every day to take pictures and participate in every sales meeting and team meeting. So for some companies, it absolutely makes sense to have an in-house marketing person. Where we come in is helping to find that person, train them on the strategy, make sure that they're comfortable with it and spend that next year supporting them as they really get their you know, feet into it and then phase ourselves out and be there as kind of a resource if needed. So we do have a lot of clients that kind of fit that role. Got it. Um, okay. I, oh, I, I, I'm already hesitating. I always say last question and it's never the last question, but I'm going to say it anyway. Last question in this pre-COVID set. Um, as far as your uh, financial goals, you can give this either as a, as a dollar amount or as a percent year over year growth. What was your goal for 2020? Our goal year after year is always 20%. Where our goal for 2020, this is again, before we knew anything was going to happen in 2020, right. was the 20%, but also to look at the overall margin that we were doing so that we could make sure that we were profiting on every single thing that we were doing. Mm-hmm. And many times we were so closely intertwined with the client and we do the work because we know it's going to help them we forget the, did we actually make any money? Were we profitable? Were we actually paying for their marketing? And that was eye-opening to see the clients that we not only lost money, but we actually helped pay for their marketing. I feel like that's that's a very common practice in the small business world where it's so easy to get caught up in the day-to-day you kind of forget or you or you keep putting off the time necessary to take that step back and do the analysis on where are your profitability hubs and where are you spending because it maybe it helps your top line or it helps your public perception or you know creating your, your company's kind of persona or brand or whatever but at the end of the day it's like well, there are six of us who get paid and I'm the last one who gets paid and we're spending all of these money, all of this money here and it's not directly bringing money back in. Mm-hmm. There's just no room in the budget for that. You know, you're, you're, you're not Apple. Like you don't get to have on the books a couple billion or trillion dollars tied up to the value of your brand. Like, no, right. that, that doesn't pay the bills. No, it, it doesn't. As much as you want to help other people, if it's actually causing, you know, strain on your own business and that prevents you from growing too. And the way I look at it is if I'm not making money, then why even work? Yeah. I feel like that is, that is a uh, more common than we would probably like to admit uh, characteristic or, or question that, that small business owners are asking themselves. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I feel like we're in a good place here to move on to our mid-COVID set. But before we do, it's time for our free shout out to a small business. This is the, the thing that we call our unsponsor of the show. It's an awesome company run by awesome people who produce an awesome product who have no idea that they're getting this shout out. 
until they either hear about it or you tell them or, you know, they get millions and millions of people banging on their doors uh, looking to, to buy whatever amazing product they're selling. So, Alicia, who is today's show not brought to us by? Today's show is not brought to us by Bites of Boston Food Tours. And they I picked because they are a small local business. They do food tours throughout the city of Boston and they've been forced to pivot due to COVID and the closures. And they have came up on top amazingly by curating these boxes filled with local business owner goodies that get shipped directly to your door. And you can find them at bitesofbostonfoodtours.com and click on the gift boxes. And you'll be able to see all of the different local businesses, all of their products in the box. So it's just a great way that not only did they pivot for their business to survive, but they actually wanted to shed light on the other businesses that really needed it as well. That is the kind of business this podcast is like built to support. I, I love it. The, the small business, the pivot, the supporting other small businesses, that that's the that's the kind of company that if that I would hope that consumers would vote with their with their wallets to mm-hmm. support, basically. Absolutely. So B- bitesofbostonfoodtours.com. Uh, yes. All right. And with that, we are into our mid-COVID segment here where we are going to talk about the real world impacts of COVID-19 on yet another small business and just how awesome it's been for that ecosystem of, uh, <laughs> of either solopreneurs or, or small biz entrepreneurs uh, just trying to keep the lights on. So my guess here is that the impact on your business wasn't a positive one as the, the uh, economy writ large is flooded with uncertainty and people are, are dialing back on what they have to spend on the, um, the, the quote unquote non-essentials like marketing, which is, I say that's you know, tongue in cheek because yes, you save money now, but if you have a good marketing team, you're losing money down the road because you're not making that investment. But I feel like I'm doing too much talking here. So let's go to you and walk us through those first couple of months of COVID and kind of what you saw boots on the ground happening in terms of your, uh, the number of clients you have were the, the the adjustments that they were making and, and how it was impacting you. Right. Absolutely. So I'll first say that where my business was not, you know, directly hit, I'm not a restaurant, I'm not a hospitality group. So I was already set up to run virtually. For that reason, I'm extremely grateful because there are so many businesses right now that are literally fighting to stay afloat uh, because they were shut down. So although we weren't deemed essential, we were still able to operate as normal because we were always set up virtually. So our in 2020, when we first started, we had a good book of clients that kicked off the, the year for us. And once COVID shut down, our marketing campaign stopped and we switched the conversation with clients of what are you going to do? How are you going to educate your clients and your customers on the things that you're doing during this time? If we're not marketing, if we're not selling, 
then what pieces in your business do we need to take a step back and see what's working, what's not working? And let's use this time to change that and make it stronger and better. So we didn't lose any clients during that initial shutdown. Some had to reduce retainers. Uh, Actually, I take that back. We did lose one only because they were a hotel. So their business shut down, their event shut down, obviously, they had no money to to spend. Well, and what's the point of marketing if no one is literally allowed to use their services anyway? It's gonna, I'm sure it's the same thing with probably a lot of restaurant groups where they're like, well, if our doors are closed, there's nothing to invest in right now. Exactly. So our clients weren't at this time, weren't directly impacted by the shutdown, except for a handful that fell into that restaurant hospitality. Many were in the finance, staffing, IT, tech, all of those industries actually did really well during the shutdown because more people did need, you know, tech software. They did need financial support in their investments because the economy was tanking and stocks were really low. So those industries that we were working with, they saw the silver lining in all of it, which is really hard to say because so many did not. Um, So our conversations with them really changed. Take us through, you know, Q2, where we thought we were going to reopen, but in Massachusetts, we had one of the slower phases of opening that it almost became not appropriate to sell. So I would say Q, the end of Q1 is when our state shut down. Q2, it stayed shut down. So we had to just refocus on what was working and what wasn't working, but it wasn't okay to sell. It wasn't looked at nicely to sell while, while so many companies were shut down. I can, totally, rela- I, I can totally relate to that one. Yes. I, I remember one specific email from a woman who like, you could just, you could just like, you could feel the frustration and almost that she felt like insulted by the fact that I was asking her if I, Hey, can I send you some samples? You know, it's like trying to tread as, as nicely and lightly as possible. But at some point it's like, no, you don't understand. I'm, I'm, I'm selling, you know, my office chair to, 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 to keep the lights on here. Yes. I, I don't, I, it, so it, it, it was perceived as being totally inappropriate to even, even have like a glimmer of sales uh, directed towards her. Absolutely. And that was our experience too. We changed the conversation instead of selling, we started reaching out to businesses, seeing how are you doing? Here's a free resource that you could use for your own marketing. These are some great you know, ways to communicate to your customers and your clients of how your business is operating during these times. Mm-hmm. We did see a huge change in, instead of clients coming to us for ongoing marketing and retainers, they came to us for one-offs. So they needed video work because their store was shut down. How could they educate somebody on the products that they were trying to sell? So we would actually do contact lists, pick up their products, bring it to our video studio, take the, the videos of the different ingredients in their products, how to apply the, the products. And then they were able to use that to really enhance their Amazon account. So that was a big change in marketing that we started seeing was video became more important than anything with paper, because at the beginning of this, I said paper is the the spreader, you know, of, of the germs. So we saw a big change in all of that. Um, and then the summer happened and we started opening back up 
And it almost became like business was usual. Again, people were talking, living on Zoom, wanting to market, and then anticipating that at least in New England, that we were going to experience another rush or shutdown, which hasn't happened, thankfully, yet. Uh, And I found that this summer, people wanted to try to get as much marketing as they could to prepare for anything to happen in the winter if we get shut down again. Did that make things difficult for you? And I know that you, because you you have contractors, you are able to scale up and scale down. Did that affect your decision-making as you were, like, were, were you seeing that trend? Were you able to take that step back and kind of see, hey, this is a trend. People are going to be scaling up right now and and doing hiring us on for the bigger projects, but it doesn't look like, it looks like these are going to be short-term projects and we're going to need to kind of retain cash as our, our winter coat. Or or is or is that more like you you see that now in hindsight? No, we saw it coming. You did. But we were able to predict and say, okay, holiday shopping is going to be way larger online than it has ever been because the majority are still not comfortable going in the stores. So how do we help these businesses who have never sold online, never used social media, never did videos? How do we tap into them? So before even November hits, we started doing ads for videos and holidays to get them ready. And those conversations started. That was something that we could already kind of predict that was going to happen. What I'm really thankful for is that years ago, we decided to switch to the contractor model because we didn't have to let anybody go. We didn't, we don't carry anybody on payroll besides the two founders So the contractors were able to scale and do as much work as they possibly can. And we could still pump out the stuff needed. Um, Do you think that that if you had employees that you would have had to have laid laid people off? I think it would have been really tight. Um, I'm not sure if I would have laid them off or I would have taken the hit personally. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that's a hard thing to say, right? Because I have my own family to worry about. I, I'm not sure. Right. Well, not I, only do you have your own family, but I, I we almost skipped right over it. In Q2, uh, you not only had your own family, you were adding to your family. Yes, I had our third uh, baby in May in the height of all of this. So that was, in the, I mean, this year has been horrible for so many people, but I just put that in perspective that, it was a good year for me because we brought uh, a healthy baby home, but that was an experience of itself with all of this. Um, and that, that also, I think, aided in why we didn't grow as fast as we could have this year because of COVID, but also um, I just had a baby. <laughs> right, right. I'm curious uh, because... Let's see. I'll just go ahead and put this out there. So, so my wife is pregnant uh, and is due in June. And one of the things that we've been talking about with a lot of other uh, kind of recent parents is their experiences being with people not not being allowed in the hospitals. Like as of right now, I'm not allowed to go to the the regular checkups to see uh, you know to see the ultrasounds and see the sonograms like. I don't get to ask any questions or if I do, I guess it's like over FaceTime. It's the, it's such a weird experience. It was, were, what was, 
really quickly because this is obviously not, not the focus of the show but really quickly i'm just curious like was your was your husband allowed in the hospital at all like in may yeah so i mean if this was my first i think i would have been like a wreck and stressed doing this on my own but um mm. Yeah, it, he was not allowed in any of the appointments. And then the hospital, uh, they did allow him in. We, I had to get COVID tested when they admitted me. And we had to wear a mask the whole time, uh, which was really tough. <laughs> but we did it. We had to. Uh, and then they tried to get you out of the hospital as fast as possible. In terms of the visitors, I personally loved not having the stress of coordinating when people were coming to visit. Right, right. First, it was like a revolving door and it was so exhausting with this one. It wasn't me saying, no, we don't want anyone. It was eh, it's COVID. Sorry. Like no one can come. And uh, I wish there was something we could do. Yeah. yeah. Like you can't come to the hospital. Sorry. So uh, for that, I actually didn't really mind it, but you bring up a good point about something that a business owner, whether you are male, female, mom or dad, what we've never had to do, and this year has been unbelievably challenging, is to put on the hat of parent, business owner, teacher, and then childcare provider, all in all in one in a single day. So when May happened, not only was I having my third but my first was being homeschooled for kindergarten because schools were shut down. And my second was being homeschooled for preschool. So that, and we didn't have our nanny. We had no childcare because everything was shut down. So that was an entirely different challenge. And it, it really made my husband and I have to say, I have to work between these hours because this is when I have calls. You need to schedule your calls on this time the work-life balance, there was no separation between work-life. There still isn't a separation. It is totally intertwined. I think at least in my family, my husband had to take a more priority parenting role and not just work because we both were working parents. And that we're seeing throughout the entire year, like our clients, every day I'm on Zoom and there's somebody's little kid in the background and it is just part of life whether they're on Zoom doing their own classes or they're drawing a picture or they're talking. like I think for the first time this year, it has really shed light to how resilient people are and being able to focus for business, but also hear their kids screaming in the background and handle it, but still not lose you know, the topic of what's going on. And prior to 2020, I would never have my kid in a Zoom call, or even mention that I had to jump off of a call to get him off the bus because it wasn't looked at as something that was okay. It was almost a weakness that I was being a mom and trying to work. And now that everybody is doing it and they're seeing how hard it is, it it's almost becoming normal to see that life in the background and see yeah. people's homes in the background. And so for me, I think that's a silver lining. Um, for sure. Yeah, I, I it's think hard, but yeah, and and that's a great segue into our into our post and our, our final segment, the the post COVID segment, where we kind of prognosticate about the future and and look to what's next and what pivots you know you, you're making or or will making and how to prepare for the next pandemic. But as long uh, along the lines of of childcare, do you think that one of the silver linings 
that you just mentioned, will that continue beyond COVID as, because this isn't like a, a two month blip, right? This is, we're in month eight or nine now. Um, I guess exactly, we just, we're entering into the ninth month of the pandemic. Uh, Pfizer and Moderna just released kind of their preliminary findings. So it seems like a vaccine is on the horizon, but realistically that's not coming till the spring or, you know, at, at the earliest, I think on any sort of national level. So we're looking at like well over a year of, of this existence and, and schools all over the country are still closed or they're doing like weird hybrid situations. There's no uniform policy because right. heaven forbid our country have any sort of uniform policy that would allow us to actually handle this. But uh, I'll, I don't want to get on my soapbox about That's that. another podcast. Oh, yeah. man. Yep. Uh, <laughs> so do you think with all of that being said that there will, that the respect for child rearing will continue to and, and like kind of be pervasive throughout the business world i know that's a very broad question but what, what it is from a your broad question and there's so much negative that the cr has brought so i'm only going to talk about the positive on it and I want our kids to be able to go back to school, one, for childcare, but more importantly, they need to be in school. They need to socialize. I can't teach them how to make friends because they're fighting with their siblings. Like we're going to raise a, a generation of kids that think it's okay to like throat punch their sibling if <laughs> someone doesn't share anything because that's where they're with their siblings all day or if they're an only child, they're with their parents all day. So I, I really do hope that school opens up and our children can go back to school and feel that normalcy of childhood. With childcare and parents working, I, I really strongly hope that it does shed light that a lot of the burden falls on one parent, whether that's the mom or the dad. And this pandemic has forced families to rely on both of them or outside people to help them. And so I think this isn't going away. Um, yes, we'll have a vaccine, but in my personal opinion, I think that I hope businesses and clients and companies realize that work is not somebody's life. It is a means to help them create the life that they want and their children and their parents that they're taking care of are all part of that. And that's why you hire them from that personality perspective. So I think a, a lot of respect has come from it. People are probably more productive now than they were in the office. And working from home, we've proven that we could run our country working from home. So, so many companies invested in these beer on tap and ping pong tables when you could have them all work from home and still produce the same amount of work. It's kind of like an, an I told you, and I told you so moment for you to like big corporate America trying to do the, the culture thing. Yes. I, and I definitely think mental health is really important in that, you know, getting everybody together and having that culture there, there is an, a big importance to it, but there's also the life that happens outside the office that businesses a lot of times never talked about. I wonder if there will be, as we look back on this 10, 15 years from now, or 100 years from now, or, or, or whatever, if we'll look back and see that there was an inflection point uh, in the right direction, positively addressing the gender pay gap 
because more men were forced to kind of take on those, you know, the, the traditional, like, and I put this in air quotes again, like the traditional mom role where it's okay, the, the female is expected to make the, the career sacrifice. And because she needs more flexibility in working from home or working, you know, working remotely or, or different hours around childcare, that she's expected to kind of, kind of take that pay cut. But if everybody is doing it, then maybe it will help raise uh, wages across the board or, or at least raise it, you know, equality and equity. Yeah. And these conversations that are happening, it, it's not just the moms that are making these sacrifices. It's, right. it's the men too that are saying, okay, I, I have calls in the morning. I'm going to wake up early and get all my work done early in the morning so that you can do your work midday. And then I'll jump back on There definitely is a balance of it, mm-hmm. but the conversation of does one of us quit our job so that we could homeschool or you know, take care of the kids, that conversation is happening around the country. And even if, you know, your child's in hybrid or remote, it is very intensive on the parent. It's very difficult to work when your kid is doing hybrid or remote because they don't know how to submit an email or, or a right. thing. especially, you know, in, at six years old, I'm teaching them how to attach something to an email. Like, in my opinion, I don't think a six-year-old should know how to send an email. But they have to. <laughs> right. Yeah. In a weird, I feel like the, this generation of school kids is going to have an, an odd assortment of skills and and be prepared for the for whatever the net comes next in their lives, you know, in a really weird way. Like there's going to be a lot of a lot of upsides. Maybe, mm-hmm. they, you know, six year olds, ki- kindergartners can attach emails. And then there's going to be some downsides because kindergartners missed interacting with other five and six-year-olds for a full year yeah it's, it's going to be interesting to see how that how that plays out um as we kind of start to wrap things up here um how has and sorry to, to abruptly bring this back to to the to the finances but i'm curious kind of because we're recording this in the you know the last month or so of the year are your how how are your end of the year numbers going to compare to what you had originally planned for as of you know the, the beginning of the year pre-COVID? Because we've been tracking our financials every month, we're able to make adjustments and we can cut down costs to make sure that we still have the cash flow necessary. So we will come up shy but, than what we anticipated for this year. Um, but we are still on track to to make uh, the same amount that we did last year. So we didn't hit the twenty percent growth, right? Understandably, yeah. But we're not taking, yeah, we're not taking a big loss. Um, so we kind of stayed stagnant this year. Which again, our goal was to just maintain what we had. It was the survival of let's not focus on growing. Let's just focus on staying at the same level. Yeah. I, I would certainly be happy in, in, in my business of, of taking 2019's revenue and just copying that over to 2020, but that's definitely not going to happen. I think people in the, 
in the physical goods world from from my experience here from the interviews that I've I've been doing over the last 6 months or so it seems like people who who sell physical items are probably uh let me reframe this people who sell services tend to have, have been able to make easier pivots or maybe not easier yes. but like more effective pivots um and i think that yeah just just being in that holding pattern is actually a, a huge win in the broader context of our economy it absolutely is and also looking at through this pandemic there have been industries that have absolutely been crushed and there have been industries that came out of this the virtual learning and tutoring that is a huge space mm-hmm. that never really was on anyone's radar in my opinion and now targeting those and saying wow this is this is the way of life at least for now so what do those businesses need how how many of them have never even thought to utilize online marketing or to utilize videos and so same thing with with businesses that have brick and mortar that never have their products on an e-commerce and now they quickly have to figure out how to get their products sold online so yes there's some devastating business you know, businesses from 2020 but there's some new industries that have really come out of it as well right and and with that change has probably created an opportunity for and, and a need for your services to better tell that story of, of those pivots and changes that those companies are making in order to adapt to the evolving landscape. Right. right. So heading into 2021, care, care to make any forecasts? Oof. Uh... My forecast, and I think this has been our saving grace throughout this entire year, is to really try to hold on to whatever those silver linings are. And I know that's a trending word, but there's so much negativity around everything that happened this year, but there's also some positive. And, you know, I I hope that we still continue to not fill every single weekend with activities and we just appreciate just sitting and just you know, not rushing from one thing to the next. I hope that stays for, for next year. Um, in terms of business, my goal is to bring on more clients, but the right type of clients, clients that really need us to help them, not just in marketing, but in their sales goals too, to look at us as a vital part of their team, not as a fun to have. So that's a that's a big goal for us. Um, financially, I want to bring on at least one project every month. That is a, a big reach goal for me. But I think I think we can do it if we if we target the right clients and, and companies that need us in the right way. Um, so that's my that's my goal for 2021 and to get back on track in our growth. Yeah. Uh, do you think that? Because we are all now well-versed enough in the COVID existence that people are kind of loosening the purse strings and willing to invest again in the future? Or are you still seeing, and, and that's a very broad question, I guess, for you as, as kind of a, a smaller shop, you don't have to sell to the broader economy. You have to sell to, you have to find the right fits for 
for you and your size? I think businesses are able to adapt really quickly because we had to do it right in first quarter. Where I have seen amazing growth from is looking at these restaurants and how they completely changed their entire process is amazing. Like no one gives them credit for figuring out how to quickly change to curbside, what doors to use curbside, what doors to use for dine-in, how they need to walk into the dining room. Uh, We just went out to dinner. There was nobody filling up our glass of water. There was only one person that ever came to our table for safety reasons. So that, that structure, that process, that um, effectiveness and efficientness is like, it's huge that they were able to do that. So I, I think from 2021, these businesses, even when they are able to open and operate as normal, I think a lot of the things that they did for COVID is going to still apply because they were able to make these amazing changes that streamlined their own process. So yeah. I, I think, again, that's kind of the goodness that came out of it is I'm looking at one of the restaurants and for Thanksgiving, they have an awesome process ready to go. Like you're going to go to this door, you're going to open up your trunk, we're going to put it in your trunk, everything's paid for by credit card, you don't need a sign, no contact. Like, why would that ever go away? Even when masks go away, why would you ever change that? Um, so I think that's kind of a neat thing that we've learned. Yeah. I think that overall, the the companies that do survive will be stronger for it for the most part. Right. But getting through these next, you know, four to 12 months, I don't know. I feel so, I feel so silly now making those predictions about how much longer this is going to go on because I, I keep on being wrong. I think everybody for the most, or most people, uh, you know, predicted, predicted this would be over by now, but. Well, um, too, like with just, you know, quickly is that I think it's up to every single person to support local. Yes. Yes. I buy food from restaurants. Like nobody's really traveling that much. Nobody's really going out. So spend the money and purchase food from a restaurant, especially around the holidays. There are so many local businesses that need support and those are the ones that we should really be rallying around because Amazon doesn't know my name, <laughs> but the the shop that I just ordered something from said, thank you, Alicia, for my, for your purchase. You're keeping my shop open. Right. That hundred dollars matters to them. So that I, that is my goal for 2021 and all the years thereafter is that shopping small is not a trend and it's not just meant for small business Saturday. It is just a way of life and everybody should be going out of their way to shop small. You, you literally just gave me chills. That is, yeah, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to go back to the, to the voting with your dollars analogy because it's still, sadly, it's somehow still election season uh, as we're two weeks past the election and, and, sort of still counting votes or something, lawsuits, whatever. Anyway, without delving into that, I'm just going to say that when you buy from a store, you are voting with your dollars to, to that you want them to stay open, that you want them to succeed. And that's kind of just the bottom line. If, if, you, want, if you want that corner shop, if you want that mom and pop X business to be around 
in six months or a year or, or whenever, there's really only one way to make that happen. Right. And, and, and that's, that's by patronizing the, those businesses. So yeah, yeah. I, I totally agree. I see people still like they're going to your mainstream coffee shops and the lines are so long, but why don't you just go to the, the small coffee shop in your town and the right. coffee costs the same amount of money. Yeah. <laughs> but, where, where the, where the owner is the one working the counter right now. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, that is such a great point, and I feel like we we can't top that. So on, on that message, shop local, buy local, p- patronize your 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 mom and pops, your your local businesses. Amazon is really easy, but you'll make it. You'll genuinely make the world better by by taking that business e- either in person or to a to a smaller e-com site. So thank you so much, Alicia, for bringing that that up. Thank you for coming on the show. Gosh, your answers are just so polished. I felt like I didn't I didn't have to reiterate anything. I was like, I just had to get out of my way. And, and you're you're obviously so uh, uh, knowledgeable and and eloquent. And we're in your domain here on Zoom. I know this is what you do just about every day these days, um, but it, it it obviously shows. So th- thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, thank you for having me. Thank you to my guest, Alicia Williams. For your marketing needs, please check out alistmarketing.com. That's A-L-I-S-T-E marketing.com. Time now for my unsponsor of the day, Cadence. Cadence offers multi-use storage capsules that are supportive of the environment and you as an individual on the go with a personal care routine. Get some beautiful capsules built around individuality, design and sustainability at keepyourcadence.com or on Instagram at keepyourcadence. For a list of other gift ideas ahead of the holidays, check out our list of small businesses at smallbizgoneviral.com and click on the Unsponsors tab. Thank you, Peggy Bunker and the Bunkmates, Worldometer, NPR, Robinhood Snack, and Morning Brew Daily News emails, Statista for the Graphs, and surprise guest today, USA Today. Someday, maybe even in time for the birth of my daughter in late May, hello, this pandemic will be over. It might be over just a little earlier if you wear a mask and socially distance. You could literally save a life. From an office in North Pacific Beach, recorded and edited before and after work hours, I'm Grant LeBeau, and this is Small Biz Gone Viral. And we're back with our quick bonus round. It's going to be a lightning round of today will be four questions and let's get right into it. Okay, Alicia, what are some common misconceptions about your business? That it's easy and that there's no value to a service. That totally makes sense. Um, And expand on that real quick. We have invested so much time and money into learning the things that we do. And so what takes me an hour to do today may have taken me 15 hours of training just to know how to do it. So putting a value to the time that goes behind everything we do is something that many people just don't understand when it comes to a service. Right. You're paying for someone's training, education, and experience, not just the 15 minutes of the time right then and there. What is one of your least favorite questions about your business to receive at a party and why? 
how's business going? Because I can either decide to just blow it off and say good, or I can unhatch it and say, you know, well, Frank, it's not going so well. I closed three clients today, but realized 10 of them owe me a shit ton of money. Do you want me to keep going or go get a drink? So right. I, I just think it's a, it's a question that doesn't really need an honest answer. It's just an awkward. Question. Yeah. I never know how to answer that either. I always feel the exact same way. Well, it's a disaster. Uh, everything's fine. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What is your least favorite part about being an entrepreneur? The stress and navigating it on my own sometimes. Yeah. It's lonely. Mm-hmm. And because we are a happy show in theory, what is your favorite part about being an entrepreneur? That I get to decide what my schedule is and the work that we do. Love it. Thanks, Alicia. Thank you.